My name is Daniel, and I am the community pastor here, and it's my honor to get to share with you in week two of our series, This We Believe. This is a series where if you're new to faith, if you're new to church, or maybe if you've been doing this church thing a long time, but you still have questions about the foundational things of our faith, this is a series where we're addressing those things, where we are answering those things. These are not uh, beliefs that are core church specific, but these are beliefs that are church universal. And, and so if you are a Christ follower, regardless of whether you go to core church or a different church, then these are beliefs that we hold on to as Christ followers. And so today we are going to be talking about scripture. And what do we do with the Bible? Can we trust the Bible? Can we believe in the Bible? Is the Bible just made up? Just things like that. We're going to be diving in to that today. So if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3? If you do not have a Bible, I encourage you to download the Version Bible app from wherever you get your apps from, the Version Bible app. We're on that app, by the way. If you just go to the events tab, you'll see today's passage. You'll see our announcements. You'll see things going on. You can follow along. You can take notes. Also, there's a reading plan that corresponds with today's message all on the app. So we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 14 through 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. You can find 2 Timothy right after the book of 1 Timothy. And so, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 14 through 17 says this, But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And so we're talking today about scripture. We're talking today about the Bible. Like I said, the belief that we have, you can find these on our website, by the way, our core beliefs, is something that is shared by all Christians. And so we're going to read this together out loud. We're going to put it on the screen. And we're going to read this out loud as we declare our belief in the Bible. We believe in the Holy Bible. We're going to read this out loud as we declare our belief in the Bible. We believe in the Holy Bible. The scriptures are the inspired word of God and contain all truth for all mankind. So Father, in your presence today, we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, many of us were intimidated by your word. We're skeptical of your word. God, we, we believe our, we've believed our whole life. Some of us have never believed in it, God. Regardless of where we're at today, Lord, I pray that you would meet us right in that moment and that you would just help us to take a step toward you today. Lord, for some of us, I pray that the foundations of our faith are further solidified today as we understand more about your word. God, would you reveal things to us? Would you challenge us, God? Maybe some of us have preconceived notions about the Bible. Would you challenge us today, Lord, to take a step and grow in our faith? And if you're ready to hear from God this morning, can I get a big amen? Amen. amen. You guys can be seated. So I think we have all at one point in our life been on one side or another of what I would call a gotcha moment. Now, a gotcha moment is when you're having a conversation with someone and they are telling you something that you know is just flat out not true. And so you just 
let them keep talking and talking and keep spinning their web of lies because you know the truth and you're holding on to the truth and you're just waiting for the right moment, the sweetest moment where you can drop that truth bomb on them and totally get them in that moment. You, you know, you can say, gotcha. And so sometimes it's with, you know, like a parent to a kid. You know, maybe the kid is telling you that they did something and, and you know the truth. And so you just let them talk. You just let them keep getting that rope out. So they're, they're going to hang themselves, you know, and then at the right moment, you drop the truth on them. Or maybe it's when you're a kid and you get to do that to your parents. Man, there's nothing sweeter than when you get your parents going on something, but you say, oh, but remember, you actually said this. And it's like that feeling of like, finally, I got them, got my parents. You know, maybe it's a, a conversation you have with an employee or an employer that uh, they keep talking and, and, you know, they said they were going to do one thing, but you have the truth. And so you finally get to drop that on. You get to set them straight. So in my house, I have three kids. I have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a four-year-old. And my four-year-old, my boy, he is kind of, he, he's figuring out this whole like lying and telling the truth thing. And I'm not going to lie to you guys. He's kind of prone to lie. Like my four-year-old is kind of a habitual liar. I'm praying freedom and deliverance over him. I love my, what my wife says that, you know, my, my four-year-old is not a compulsive liar. He's just really not good at telling the truth. And, um, and, and so, you know, I, we catch him in lies all the time. And we have these gotcha moments with him all the time in that, you know, I'll, be, I'll tell him to pick up the toys. And he's a big Spider-Man junkie right now. So I have these Spider-Man toys all over our house. And I was like, Andrew, you got to pick up your toys. You got to pick up. And finally, you know, it's like I pick up one and just holding. It's like, hey, Andrew, did you, did you pick up the Spider-Man toys? Yeah, I picked up Spider-Man toys. It's like, did you pick up all the toys in the living Yeah, I picked up all the toys. Really, you picked up, you went and you picked up the Spider-Man toys and put them in the box. Yeah, I did that. And it's like, the why am I holding this? And he just looks at me and smiles. He's like, i just kidding, you know? And, and so he's discovered that if he's cute, he can get out of a lot of messes. And so I don't know how we're raising him. You know, he's going to turn out really great or really not. You know, I feel like at this point, it's just one of those two extremes. So we've been on one side or another of a gotcha moment. And I think when it comes to the Bible, I think a lot of us are scared to engage with the Bible and scared to engage people with the Bible because we do not want to be on the wrong side of a gotcha moment when it comes to the Bible, that we're scared of really engaging with this or we're scared to talk to other people about what this says because we're afraid that someone's going to say something about the Bible, say something about what's in the Bible that we are going to have no answer to, and we're going to be on the wrong side of a gotcha moment. For example, I had an Old Testament class that was, when I was in college, and this Old Testament class was mandatory for everyone that went to this college. And so this class was filled with people who were believers, but also people who were not believers. And so in this class, you know, we're talking about, you know, some of these Old Testament scriptures and whether they're real or not, whether they're legit or not. And one of these guys who was not a believer, um, he says, well, I don't believe in this because if God was real, then the Bible wouldn't have scriptures like this. And then he pointed out Psalm 137, 8 through 9, which says this, O Babylon, you will be destroyed. Happy is the one who pays you back for what you have done to us. Happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. Now, that's not a scripture that you're going to find cross-stitched onto a pillow at Mardell. 
that is not a verse in the Bible that you are going to put on some nice sunset and post on your Insta feed. You know, this, and he says, look, if God's real, if the Bible's real, why would a scripture like that be in there? Silence in the class, because no one wanted to be on the wrong side of the gotcha moment, except for this fool right here. (laughs) And so I had to engage with him and try to explain why a scripture like that is in the Bible. Now, we're going to cover the theory, the, the basic premise of why something like that is in the Bible a little later in the message. So if you are completely hung up right now that it says something about smashing babies against rocks in the Bible, stay with me. Don't tune out. Don't get on Google. Stay with me. We will get to the principle of why that exists a little later on in the message. So hang with me as we get there. But we don't want to be on the wrong side of that gotcha moment. And, and this is why we're talking about Scripture today. Because if we as Christ followers, if we as people who call ourselves Christians don't, don't understand the Bible and we're, we're intimidated by it, we're scared by it, then we're not going to engage with this ourselves. And we're certainly not going to engage our world and our neighbors, and our co-workers, and our culture with it. If we're afraid of it, then we're never going to engage it. We're never going to internalize and put it in for ourselves because we're so afraid of what it says. And, and the truth is, the, the Bible has kind of always been under attack. It's always been under scrutiny. We feel like maybe that's like a modern thing that people are like just now losing confidence in the Bible and saying that the Bible is not what it says it is. But man, that's, that's been around forever. And I think people have, you know, they have major, uh, you know, complaints about the Bible. And I want to kind of go through a few of those today. So I think one of the major things that people say about the Bible is that the Bible contradicts itself. How many of you heard someone say or read that somewhere that the Bible contradicts itself? If you raise your hand, no one's going to shoot you. Just if you, if like, okay. We've, most of us have heard someone say or heard it said that the Bible contradicts itself. For example, I went online to find, uh, like, okay, where does the Bible contradict itself? And the first search result that I had led me to an atheist website, a prominent atheist website that had a list of biblical contradictions. And so one of the ones that it had was it says, hey, in one part of the Bible, in Exodus, it says that we have an eye for an eye. But then in another part of the Bible, it says that we should turn the other cheek. So which one is it? Is it eye for an eye? Is it turn the other cheek? Do you turn the cheek while you're gouging out someone's eye? What's going on here? You know, so the Bible contradicts itself is is a common complaint against the Bible. Another one that people say about the Bible is, I don't believe in the Bible because the Bible is just a bunch of outdated rules. It's just a bunch of thou shalt and thou shalt not. And I don't need some ancient book telling me how to live my life. I don't need some ancient rule book, some ancient handbook. I want to figure it out. For myself, So why would I believe in the Bible when it just wants to govern the way that I live, when it just wants to be this authority and this, you know, this rule book for my life? Another complaint people have about the Bible is that the Bible is just a bunch of made-up stories, like Greek gods and Roman gods, just like mythology. You know, it's like Zeus and Apollo and Hercules. It's just like that. Like, none of these stories are actually real, like Jonah and the whale and Noah and the ark. These are just a bunch of stories And I can't believe that you would actually believe that any of this could have possibly happened, which leads me to, I think, what another uh, complaint that people have about the Bible is that if you believe in the Bible, you don't believe in science. 
that the Bible contradicts science, that there's no way anyone with a rational mind would believe in the Bible. Like, do you seriously believe in creation? What, have you never read a science book? You know, what about evolution? What about these things? And so that, that we stand, if you believe in the Bible, that you stand opposed to science. And so some of you today are like, but Daniel, you're going to answer some of this, right? Because like, those are, like, I, I've, I feel that. And, and so I think this is why as Christians, we cower down from conversations like this because we don't want to be on the wrong side of the gotcha moment. We don't want to feel like our faith is built on a, on a house of cards. We want to know and we want to have confidence in our faith, but it's almost easier to have that if we don't know what the book says. It's almost easier to have that sometimes if, well, my pastor believes it or this other guy believes it or my parents believe it instead of digging in and finding it out for ourselves. I think we don't want to be on the wrong side of the gotcha moment, but, it, but we have to understand scripture for ourselves. We have to understand the Bible for ourselves because once again, if we're afraid of it, we're never going to engage with it and then we're never going to engage others with it. And I think I think the problem is, is that we have a fund, we've, we've had a fundamental problem as we've approached the Bible. I think the problem is this. If you grew up in the church, like I grew up in the church, I grew up singing songs like the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand upon the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. I'm going to believe that most of you know that song and you were singing on the inside and you were not just leaving me out to dry like that, hanging me out to dry church, come on. And so I'm just going to believe in faith that you were singing along in your heart to that song. So most of us have heard songs like that. And the thing is this. So we've been approached by authority figures, by parents, by pastors, and someone's handed us the Bible and said, hey, this is the word of God. Do everything this says, and you'll be fine. This is the word of God. Do everything this says, and you'll be fine. The problem is I believe that that is an overly simplistic approach to this book. And I believe that if that's the only way that you approach this book, you're not approaching it with the nuance, you're not approaching it with the understanding, to, to understand it in a way that, that it can stand up to the scrutiny that we just talked about, that it can stand up to the complaints that we just talked about. If all you have is, well, this Bible is the word of God and just do what it says, then, then your the, the foundation is not solid enough for your understanding, your belief in the Bible to withstand the complaints and the criticisms that are being leveled against it that there has to be a deeper understanding. They see, I, I believe, church, that, that we don't have to just know the stories in the Bible, that we have to know the stories of the, the story of the Bible, and that knowing the story of the Bible is almost as important as knowing the stories in the Bible. That if we don't understand the general narrative of the Bible, if we don't understand the big picture of the Bible and how the Bible as a whole works together and what the Bible as a whole is trying to say, if we don't understand the story of of the Bible, that that's almost as important as understanding or, and knowing the stories in the Bible, that knowing the story of the Bible sets up the stories in the Bible, that knowing the story of the Bible gives us a deeper understanding of what's actually inside the book. And so we have to know the story of the Bible. So what is the Bible? Is it just a, is it a book of rules? Is it just a book of morality? Is it just a book of history? Well, this is what we're going to dive into today because I want you to leave today having confidence in the Bible. I want you to leave today not being afraid to engage with this book. I want you to leave today in inspired enough about the Bible that, I don't know, you might go home and read it, that, 
that maybe you'll go home and, and start the YouVersion reading plan, that maybe you'll take YouVersion and unbury it out of a folder on your phone and put it somewhere else, that, that you have confidence to engage with this book, to have confidence to engage with the Bible, because once you engage with the Bible, I believe you're going to engage with the God of the Bible. And so we're going to get into that today and how we can have confidence in the Bible in the midst of our world. If you're ready to go along with me, can I get another amen? amen. Awesome, good. The first thing we need to understand about the Bible is this, is that Jesus is the center. Jesus is the center of the Bible. Uh, Someone explain this this way. If, if you're a social media user, like Facebook, Instagram, you know, all these things, do you remember a few years ago, we just kind of went through this phase, we went through this period where everyone was taking pictures of like anything they ate and posting it to their newsfeed. And so you could be scrolling on Facebook, scrolling on Insta, and it's like, you know, someone's like, OMG, look at my cereal this morning. Oh, that's such a great piece of toast. You know, it's like, man, my sandwich was so killer. You know, it's like someone's, they're posting every single thing. They, and it's like, why am I looking at a bunch of mediocre food on my, you know, social media feed? And so I take great pride in that I, um, one, I'm not a big social media user, but two, when, when this was going on, I would only post food that was absolutely amazing. Like, I went for my birthday one year. My wife took me to this place on Cherry Street called Doe's Eat Place, and I had a steak there. Guys, it was like some 36-ounce porterhouse, and the thing was like as big as my face. You know what I mean? It was, it was like the most beautiful thing, like maybe, you know, that food-wise that I've ever laid eyes on. You know, I swear, like, heavens departed and light came down. I didn't need an Instagram filter to take a picture of that bad boy because heaven shone down upon it. You know, so I took a picture of that, posted it, hashtag no filter, because it was just beautiful by itself. I want to tell you something. Historically, historically, so you're talking about through history, people would only write down things and record things that happened that were extraordinary, that were monumental, that were incredible, that didn't happen every day. Historically, people didn't write down when they had cereal. Historically, people didn't capture when they just had a piece of toast or a sandwich. They would only capture the good stuff. They would only document things, and, and those records only survived if something incredible, if something extraordinary happened. And so I want to tell you today that the reason why Jesus is the center of our faith is because we have all these documents, we have all these people that are writing down something that happened that was not ordinary, that was extraordinary, that did not happen every day. You have all these authors and all these firsthand, first generations accounts writing something down that happened. And what happened was this, that Jesus came, that Jesus died, but then Jesus rose Again, the resurrection of Jesus is the central theme, is the central story, and is the foundation of our understanding and belief of the Bible. And it's the very foundation of our faith. See, the reason why we believe that Jesus is the center and that Jesus' resurrection is the center of the story is because without it, we wouldn't have this, okay? Without it, we wouldn't have 
uh, a the Bible. But the reason we have a the Bible is because Jesus wasn't just another teacher. He wasn't just another prophet. He wasn't just another dude with good ideas to share. The reason we have this is because his life was so extraordinary that something so extraordinary in the resurrection happened that Matthew saw, and Matthew, who was a tax collector, who was hated by the people he was with, saw and saw how this man changed his life. And because of it, he had to document it, and he had to write it down, that a guy named Mark had the same encounter, and he had these stories and had these firsthand encounters with Jesus. He had to write them down, that a guy named Luke, check this out, that a guy named Luke was hired by some Roman official named Theopolis. And Theopolis had heard all the Jesus stories. He heard all the stuff going on. And he said, I have to know for myself what really went down with Jesus. So he hires a doctor named Luke to be his private investigator. And Luke goes and investigates and, and interviews and finds firsthand accounts of what happened. And that's how we have the Gospel of Luke. And that's how we have the book of Acts that John, that Peter, that Paul, that James wrote letters. James, the brother of Jesus. Church, what would it take for you to believe that your brother was God? What would it take for you to believe that your brother was God in flesh? And yet James believed that Jesus, his brother, was the Messiah, was God Almighty. The reason that we believe is all of these people have these firsthand accounts and they point back to one thing, that Jesus came, that Jesus died, but Jesus rose again. And that is the foundation of our faith. And I just think it's so cool because no other religion has this many firsthand accounts of what happened. Most ancient historical documents don't have this much firsthand first-generation documentation of what happened. People like Augustus, you know, Caesar, and there's all these, they don't, there's not as much historical documentation for that as we have of the resurrection of Jesus. The life, death, and resurrection is the center story of the Bible. And more than that, it's the center, it's the bedrock, it's the foundation of our faith. Can I, can I say something controversial? Okay. Thanks, honey. Um, The reason why we believe in Jesus, the foundation of our belief in Jesus is not this. This is not the foundation of our belief in Jesus. The foundation of our faith, the foundation, the bedrock, the foundation of our faith is the event of the resurrection. It's the event of the resurrection. How can I say that? How How can I blaspheme and say that? It's because... For hundreds of years, the church existed and grew after the resurrection before there was a this, okay? For hundreds of years, all they had were the stories. For hundreds of years, all they had were the accounts. Before the books and the letters were bound together and canonized and put into a Bible that we now hand to people, before this, the church grew, and before this, belief in Jesus expanded because of, why? Not because of a book, not because of letters, but because of the events of the resurrection. Jesus is the center of our faith, and Jesus is the center of our understanding of the Bible. Everything that happens in the Bible before Jesus points to Jesus, and everything that happens in the Bible after Jesus points back at him. Jesus is the center of the story, and it's so crucial for us as we approach the Bible that we understand that he is the central character, that he is the central theme. The purpose of this book is not Moral regulation, it's not self-help, it's not history, it's not rules, 
It's God unveiling his plan of salvation through Jesus. And so, what about the Old Testament? What about the Old Testament? So when Jesus came on the scene, he changed everything, okay? And so people who were Old Testament scholars and people who, who believed, you know, in the Jewish scriptures, I mean, Jesus, newsflash, Jesus was a Jew. And so, you know, the Jewish scriptures, people, all of a sudden, as they believed in Jesus, as they reread through the scriptures, it was like something had changed for them. All of a sudden, they began to see Jesus everywhere in the Jewish scriptures. It's like when you buy a car, like if you bought a car and then all of a sudden you're, you're driving along and everything, you know, you just see your car out everywhere. It's like, I didn't know so many people had a Nissan Murano, but man, this is, here we all are. You know, it's like, it's, and you see your car everywhere. That, that's what was happening here in that the church leaders, as they came to faith, they saw Jesus everywhere in the Old Testament scriptures. This is why Paul, when he says to Timothy, he says this, but um, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Look, he's saying to Timothy, you have been taught the scriptures from childhood. Well, guess what? That wasn't this. That wasn't the New Testament. There was no New Testament at this time. It was still literally being written. The scriptures that Paul was referring to when he talked to Timothy was the Old Testament. What we know is the Old Testament was the law and the prophets. And he was saying, look, Timothy, as you study these scriptures, you're receiving wisdom that points you to Jesus. That Jesus is the theme of the Old Testament as well. So as the New Testament, as the as Jesus is the center of the story, we have to understand that the Old Testament provides context. So Jesus is the center, the Old Testament provides context. It sets up the story of these grand, these grand ideas that God created but that man rebelled, but God in his love pursued, but yet man still disobeyed and still pulled back and still turned their back on God. That's what the Old Testament does, is it's setting up these stories. And I think that most people, when it comes to their hang-up with the Bible, it actually stems from the Old Testament. I think most people are fine with the Jesus thing, like, okay, you know, Jesus, I get, like, love your neighbor, turn the other cheek, you know, grace, mercy. I, I get that. But man, this Old Testament stuff is really crazy. And I think probably 90 to 95% of people's hangups with the Bible actually stems from the Old Testament. So I want to talk about a few of the things that people have with the Old Testament, a few of the problems. Maybe that'll help us gain some confidence in our understanding of the Bible. One of them is this, is that people will say, and we talked about this a little earlier, that the Bible contradicts science. Like, if you believe in the Bible, you can't believe in science. Like, no rational person would believe the stories in the Bible. No rational person would believe those accounts. And for some reason, I think we've gotten in our heads that if you believe in the Bible, that all of a sudden you're an enemy of science. That if you believe in the Bible, you're an enemy of rational thought. Well, I want to tell you, I do not at all believe that that is the case. I do not believe that the opposite of biblical faith is science. I don't think that's true at all. See, the biblical faith says that in the beginning, God created, and that everything came from God. Well, the opposite of that is not science. The opposite of that is something called naturalism. And naturalism says, in the beginning was nothing. And then all of a sudden, somehow, there was a bang, and then everything came to be. And that you and I exist and breathe, not because in the beginning was God and God created, but that you and I exist and breathe and, and have this great life that we have because millions of years ago there was some slime 
and there was some time, and it got luck, and there was luck, and so slime plus time plus luck equals us, and here we are. And that's the opposite of the biblical view. It's the naturalist view. And can I submit to you today, core church, that I think it takes just as much faith to believe that as it does to believe that there's a loving God that created and that from him flows everything. So the opposite of our faith is not science. The opposite of our faith is not rational thought. You can be a Christian and you can be a scientist. You can be a Christian and you can be intellectual. You don't have to check your head at the door when you come into faith. The opposite of it is this idea that there was nothing and then all of a sudden there was something. Well, we believe that there was a God that's always existed and that he's the source of creation. I think it takes just as much faith to believe the other side as it does, maybe even more faith to believe the other side than it does to believe the biblical view. We say, well, Daniel, but still, what about, what about these Old Testament stories? Some of these Old Testament stories are absolutely bonkers. And I will, I will tell you, yes, they are absolutely bonkers. I mean, you're talking Jonah and the whale, Noah and the ark. Yeah, absolutely, those things are bonkers. Now, I will tell you, I personally believe that those stories happened. Okay, I, I believe that those stories, uh, they're, they're an account of something that happened. But I will also tell you this. Now, if you really struggle with that, I will tell you this, that the foundation of my faith is not those Old Testament stories. The foundation of my faith is not that those Old Testament stories. So you know what? It, for me, it, whether the flood was literal or figurative or what, you know, that's, a, that's a side point. That's, a dis, that's almost a distraction for me because the foundation of my faith is what am I going to do with Jesus? The foundation of my faith is what am I going to do about the resurrection? The foundation of my faith is there's really this guy that came and died, but then he rose again. What am I going to do with that? That's the foundation of my faith. What am I going to do with Matthew's account and Mark's account and John's account and Luke's account and Peter's account of this guy that came and did that? And so don't let other things sidetrack you from the foundation of your faith, the resurrection of Jesus. The other problem people have with the Old Testament is that the Old Testament is so violent. There's so much killing and, and slaughtering and all these things that happened in the Old Testament, like that scripture that we read in Psalms, you know, about the babies. It's like there's so much violence in the Old Testament. And I want to help you out with that a little bit. One, I want you to see that I don't, I don't think this is God's heart, that, that he's not some violent, like, you know, killing kind of God. And I see that because the law that he gave ancient Israel, the law that he gave Jesus was thousands of years ahead of its time, okay? I'm talking, we're talking about barbaric ancient times, and God gives his people laws that, that tell them how to treat each other fairly, that tell them how to equitably divide, you know, possessions and belongings, that tell, that tell them how to forgive people, that tell them how to forgive debts, that tell them how to bring strangers into their midst, that give them laws of cleanliness and, and hygiene and things like that, that, guys, they were thousands of years, ahead of its time. And I think that's more of an indicator of who God was, even in these ancient times, than, than what we think. But, but guys, these, these times in, in Old Testament, when we have to remember time and place, they happened a long time ago and in, the, and in the galaxy far, far away, okay? Completely different cultural and historical context. And you cannot put your 21st century reasoning into the book. You cannot read your 21st, like our viewpoints and the things we know and the knowledge we have. It's absolutely unfair to try to read that into Old Testament stories. It doesn't work that way. You have to read it and understand it. Guys, these were kill or be killed times. 
okay? These were barbaric times. These were times where nations would line up against nations and absolutely slaughter one another in the name of whose God was greater, okay? That passage about the babies, this is an indicator of the times that they were, that when a nation conquered your nation, you hated that nation. You wanted their babies to die. And this was just an honest prayer from a guy whose nation had been conquered. And and aren't you glad that God listens to our honest prayers? Aren't you glad that we can pray things that maybe we're not proud of to say out loud, but God takes it. He's big enough to handle that. Well, that's in there because there's all different writing styles. The Bible is not just a list of commands, a list of instructions. Man, there's poetry and there's history and there's prose. and There's all these different writing styles. And we have to understand the time, the context, and the narrative of what's happening in scripture for us to interpret it and approach it properly. But the big thing about the Old Testament is this. It's setting up the context of God's story and plan of salvation that's found in Jesus, that Jesus would be the fulfillment of the covenant that started with Abraham and, and the plan of God and the salvation. And I love it because there's so much foreshadowing of Jesus in the Old Testament that if you read through the scriptures, and the reason why it's in there, the reason why we've adopted these Jewish scriptures into our story is so we could see God's hand at work in bringing about the Messiah, that we can have confidence in who Jesus is, that as we read it, we see the Jesus thread that weaves all throughout the Old Testament, that in the book of Genesis, he's the head that would crush the serpent, that in the book of Exodus, that he's the Passover lamb, that in the book of Isaiah, that Jesus was the suffering servant, that in the book of Daniel, he's the one who stood in the fire with them, in the book of Malachi, he's the son of righteousness rising with healing in his, we- in his wings. Jesus is the thread that binds the Old Testament together, and the reason we have it is so we can have even more confidence in who Jesus is and more confidence in God's plan of salvation for us. And so what about the New Testament? If the Old Testament provides the context and Jesus is the center, what about the New Testament? Well, the New Testament provides clarity. The New Testament provides clarity. See, the New Testament deals with the aftermath of Jesus's resurrection, the aftermath of everything that happened. See, people were being brought into the faith and and so the, new, the early church leaders were writing all these letters to these different churches to, to help them and to guide them and correct them and to encourage them in their faith. And, and I'm so glad that this happened. You listen to what Paul says to Timothy. He says, Scripture, all Scripture, is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our life. And it corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good Work and, and this is now true of our entire canon of Scripture, that all Scripture now is useful for this, that it's not just rules for rules' sake. It's not just God trying to regulate your life, but the reason that we have this is so that we can expound on who Jesus is, that we can look and say, okay, in light of what Jesus said, in light of who this guy is, in light of God's great mercy and grace that he's given us, what do we do with that? How do we live that out? What are we supposed to make of this? And this is why we have the New Testament scriptures. Let me put it to you this way. Anyone ever bought furniture from Ikea? A couple of you guys have. But you know, Ikea furniture is the same thing as like flat pack furniture like you'd buy from Walmart or Target or something. You know, the furniture that comes in the box and you have to put it together yourself. Except Ikea furniture is infamously known for having the hardest instructions in the world to decipher. Why? Because Ikea is a bunch of Swedish people. And, you know, so all the, all the products have really weird names, and there's no written instructions uh, on the instructions. It's all just pictures and diagrams. And so it's, it's infuriating to try to put together Ikea furniture. And everything you put together with Ikea furniture or just flat pack furniture in general has a little Allen wrench 
You know, it's like, man, Ikea would have you put together your furniture, your house, your car, a rocket to Mars, just using an Allen wrench. And I am so grateful that God did not leave us with Ikea instructions on how to follow Jesus. I am so grateful that he didn't say, well, here's Jesus, figure it out. Do the best you can to hope to see you in heaven. That God, that God, in his foresight, God, in his wisdom, said, you know what? I want to save these letters that the church is writing, and I want to have people save them and treasure them and cherish them so that we can look and we can unpack what does it mean to love my neighbor as, my, as myself? What does it mean to turn the other cheek? Love God, love people. What does that mean? Lay down your life and follow me. What does that mean? Go and make disciples. What does that mean? How does that impact how I treat you? How does that impact how I treat my family? How does that impact the decisions I make, the ability to make right decisions and wrong decisions, the ability to live for God or not, or to live for myself? How do we do that? And that's what the New Testament does, is it helps us unpack it as we look through these amazing letters that these early church leaders wrote. Man, they just didn't write them, but God was breathing inspiration through them. And their knowledge and their words stands the test of time that Christ's followers now in 2019 here in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, can look at these words written thousands of years ago, and God is still alive and still speaking through those words today just as much as he was when Paul wrote them down. That's just so incredible and so powerful, and that's what the New Testament does for us. And see, the, the Bible is the divinely inspired word of God that leads us to salvation. What I hope that you see here today and by the way, we're going to talk about salvation next week in the series. So if you wonder, like, what the heck is salvation? How do I know that I'm saved? Like, what, why did Jesus have to die on a cross? All that stuff. Next week, you want to be here. And it's going to be a powerful, powerful word. But I want us to see today that we don't have to be intimidated by this book. That we don't have to live in fear that we're going to dig deeper. And the digger we deepen, that it's all dig in, that it's all going to unravel. And that we're going to get to the base of our faith and find out that, that it was built on nothing. I want to tell you, the, the deeper you go into this, the more and more you see the idea of this big story of God's love for us, that there was a God that created, and in the beginning, he created, and in the beginning, he wanted to live in harmony and in fellowship with his creation, but his creation disobeyed, his creation ran, and his creation rebelled, but God pursued them, and God kept going after them, and they would come back for a little bit, but then they would rebel again, and they would go do their own thing again, and then God finally sends his son in his love and his mercy, not, not to bring judgment, not to bring condemnation, but God sends his son in his love and his mercy to do what you and I could not do, to take our place on a cross, to satisfy the justice of a holy God, to die in our place, that we could have access to a relationship with him, that we could live for him, and that not only could we live for him in the life to come, but that living for him would make our life here on earth better, that we could love people that don't love us, that we could do right even when it doesn't feel good to do right, that we could make a choice to make the lives of others better, even if it meant laying down our own life, that we could live the life that God wanted us to live, not just in the life to come, but here on earth. That's the story of this book. That's the story of this book. And we can get sidetracked on so many other things. We can get sidetracked on so many other things that ultimately, at the end of the day, do nothing to build the foundation of our faith. The foundation of our faith is that Jesus came, Jesus died, and Jesus rose. And everything in this book points to that. 
And that's why we can trust it. And that's why we can believe that it has words of life for us today. And that's why we can believe that as we dig into this book, that we dig in and we discover the God who wrote this book, the God who breathed the inspiration in this book, that the more I dig in, the more I find him. And that's what, that's what this is, is my God wants relationship with us. This is one of the key, key ways that we find it. So a couple things I want to give you to help you in your journey. One of them is a reading plan. We have a great reading plan that goes along with today's word about how you can read and study the Bible. You can find that in our version app, or you can find it on our website, corechurch.com. Also, some of you here in this place, you have been on the wrong side of a gotcha moment when it comes to the Bible, that you've had someone say something about the Bible to you, and I mean, it made you feel this big because you had no answer for it. Or you have questions about the Bible that are really not just like, I kind of wonder about this, but these questions are like a roadblock to your faith. They're a roadblock to your understanding, a roadblock to your belief. We want to help you out with that as much as possible. And so we want to encourage you to send your questions to us at info at corechurch.com. Info at corechurch.com. Simply write like Bible questions or something like that in the subject line. And then as we gather these questions, our staff will get together. We will do our best to answer every one of these questions that come in. And so if you've had someone say something to you about, well, yeah, but you know, the Bible says this, and you've had no answer, then we want to help you out with that. If you're really hung up with something that you've read in the Bible, and it's, it's distracting you, it's pulling you away from your walk with God, we want to help you out with that. So info at corechurch.com, shoot us an email. We would love to answer any questions that come up. If you have questions about um, something in the Bible, uh, we want to help you. I will say, it's not like we have all the answers. Believe me, that's, that's probably the furthest thing from the truth today. But I do think we can help you understand maybe how what you're reading or some, how something said, like either how it's out of context or how, you know, how it fits into that grand narrative that God is weaving throughout Scripture. So once again, you do not want to miss next week of this series. As we continue this, we believe we're going to be talking about the part of that narrative, salvation, God's great plan through Jesus, what that all means. If you want to know, how do I know I can be saved? How do I know I am saved? Why did Jesus have to die on a cross? All of that. Make sure you come back next week as we continue this We Believe.